0: Welcome to Health Raisers. Health Raisers don't just survive. Together, we thrive. I'm your host, Dr. Nadine.
1: It's my opportunity to address and bring awareness to certain social issues that we all face.
0: Can I introduce my friend, colleague, amazing human, social activist, spectacular musician, Charles Wilson, otherwise known as Black Bach. Thank you for being
1: here. Thank you for having me, Nadine. This is so awesome.
0: This is an honor because ever since we met a little over a year ago, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I've been following your work enthusiastically. And you walk the walk, you talk the talk, and yeah. your sense of hope yeah. and joy emanate yeah. in every single social media post, even something written. I can yeah. just feel that joy and passion from you. So wow. that's why I thought you would be the perfect person today to talk yeah. about what it means to serve. Mm-hmm. Your community, the people who you want to connect with, with love. You show love in your work every single time
1: I see you. How do you do it? It's the main ingredient. You know, when you're putting together, you're baking a cake, you know, flour, love is the first ingredient for me and a lot of it. Um, Everything has to be done for me from a place of love. Uh, I just believe in humans. I believe in humanity. I believe in our connect our connectivity, I believe in, uh, spiritualism and that we're all one unit moving together on this crazy rock, um, and floating through space together at this particular time. Like a lot of people don't understand that the fact that you're here at this time is so important. And your presence here is so important. And it's important for me to make sure that The fact that you are a brother or a sister with me on this earth at this time, I have to show you what I consider to be unconditional love, no matter what the circumstance.
0: You know, I talked to our mutual friend, Michael Mm Feely,
1: yesterday,
0: and Mm -hmm. the circumstances are different. He did have some challenging circumstances when he was growing up. I mean, you grew up in Detroit. It wasn't yeah. like you grew up in some super easy, everything is handed to you life. No. So how does one develop this attitude in work coming from those circumstances? How did you do it?
1: Throughout my life, I've I've been able to to get that real sense of humanity from seeing both sides of it—the good, the bad, and the indifferent. Like, um, but it always it always occurred to me that. If we show each other love, then it gives some hope for recovery. It gives some hope for uh, someone else to express that love to someone else. It's something that's passed along and passed and is shared throughout. So the more that we can create it, it's almost like Bitcoin. Like the more we can mine this love stuff, the more we can spread it.
0: Do you find that being in the right place? Place for you, which is in music. You've been in music all your life, right? Yeah. And I'm. I'd love to hear about uh, the the early be- the beginnings of right. that for you. Uh, do you find that that has helped you to show up as the best version of yourself, so that you
1: could see the world and see other people this way? Absolutely. I started playing music at age four with a brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, piano teacher, his name was Thomas Schwartz. Um, So a kid, a black kid from the west side of Detroit would travel to the suburbs to study with a Jewish Romanian piano instructor every weekend. Uh So this kind of very much was the glue that got me to see the outside world. Like, this man showed, I was like a son to him. Like, uh, you know, and he was like a second father to me. Um, But being able to To see someone in their natural element And they, you know, showing me He put his love of music And gave me that love He showed me that love And my sister as well, she also studied But we were like, you know His children, his musical children And just that alone Was enough to kind of kickstart This um, This growth uh, This growing of love in myself And this expression
0: Where did it take you?
1: Oh, it took me all around the world. It took me everywhere. Like uh, the music and my love and passion for music and my passion for sharing music has taken me literally to places that I never thought I would ever get to see. I mean, I've been around the world, say, I don't know, 10 times on world tours. So I've seen places that, like I said, I never, ever, ever imagined. Like, wow, I'm in you know New Zealand. How did I get here? Oh, my love and passion for music. Oh, the fact that I can share this. So love has kind of been the catalyst for all this um, uh, travel and, and just being able to see and experience, and experience different cultures and different people and see that, you know, we share more similarities than we do differences. Um, and one of the, like I said, the common bond is love.
0: Something I wanted to ask you about, because you're not the first person I've talked to who has said that travel for that person was an integral part of being able to express more empathy can you say a little bit more about that or maybe share some examples of how you might have been surprised in a tough situation
1: yeah absolutely i mean one of the things we do in american cultures is we have this thing we we we, gripe a lot about a lot of stuff <laughs> and if you first go to other problems yeah so much first world problems <laughs> going on here and we don't understand that there are people who are surviving and thriving with a a, a a tenth a six one sixteenth like small amounts of what we have um in some of my travels I've seen people living in in like one piece of metal another piece of metal and another piece of metal on top of that and they're happy and you wonder, like, they have so little, but they're so happy. And then you come home and you're like, we have so much, but we're so unhappy. Mm-hmm. And you know, it just, it just kind of blends that line of empathy to say, you know, I have, I have, I'm empathetic to those that don't have. And I'm very empathetic to those that have, but don't understand what they have. You know, it's it's a very, it's a very kind of, you know, it's a merged line. I don't see the difference between the two. Um, I think that everyone's pursuit in life is happiness. Like We all just essentially want to be living in happiness. And the ability to find that happiness under any circumstance, I think, is the truest expression of love. This was a few years ago,
0: (laughs) back when travel was kind of a regular thing for me. I went to
1: visit Haiti
0: with my father and my sisters because my parents are from there and we had never really been. And we kind of wanted to go and connect to where we came from and learn about our parents as well. And so when you said the thing about these simple structures, you know, when you read things stereotypically in newspaper, like online, and they say, you know, Haitian people are most resilient and proud. It's like, yeah, yeah, really are they? But then when I went there, I actually got to see that for real. Right. right. Simple, not a lot of possessions, mm-hmm. but more so than that, there was this underlying spirit of joy too, even in the way they carried themselves. Right. You know, and this their clothes were simple and yet immaculate, you know, just suppressed. Mm -hmm. And the posture was there. And I was just stunned that I didn't see any slouching (laughs) when I was Mm -hmm. in Haiti. Everybody (laughs) just carried themselves with being in the moment. I think it felt like just really being in the moment and really being appreciate the people around them as well as what they had. And, oh, my goodness, the graciousness. You go to anybody's house because we went to family and friends
1: you will not leave there thirsty or hungry ever. Right. Definitely, that's a that's that's one of the things I've experienced as well. is just being immersed in other cultures, and uh, really being able to see the gratitude that is expressed throughout that culture. Um, like I said, I, I went to uh, the Philippines and I saw poverty, but I saw love. You know, you know, even just going through a market or something where somebody doesn't have much, they're still very much like, oh, you're from America. Oh, and it's, it's a very, we're connected. And you finally get to see, especially like you said, when you travel abroad and you travel these different places, you see how people really want to connect. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... It's not fake. No one's standoffish and like, uh, don't talk to me. They're like, please come talk to me. I want to know more about you. And if you want to know more about them, then it opens up this dialogue. And then you're able to express this gratitude for what they have and the culture that they live in and the way they express themselves. It's so cool.
0: Switching gears a little bit, how have you been able to maintain your positive attitude in music, even in times where it was tough, especially? At the beginning of the pandemic, when a lot of my artists, musician friends were saying, well, I can't, you know, go and do the thing where we want to do it. We can't travel. We can't go to the concert. We can't right. throw,
1: have the play. Right. What did you do then? I did the inside search. I can't go outside. So it's time to go inside. And and being a musician and being able to, to you know, use this instrument to express myself has been Uh, I mean, it has been everything to me, especially during the pandemic. Um, That's when I went through Creatives Workshop, Pro One, and I dedicated myself to writing every day. um, And I did for 121 consecutive days. And that was the opportunity, like I said, to do the search, the inward work. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe I can't travel out there, but I have this great imagination and this great sense of, of tone and texture and structure and like... This is something that I can give to other people. And this is a way that I communicate. I mean, music, you know, my dad always has this wonderful thing that he talks about. He says, you take a piece of music and write it in America, take it to Japan, it sounds the same. You take it to Germany, it sounds the same. So having the ability to speak in this universal language made me go inside instead of outside.
0: And that's how Black Bach was born, right? That's how Black Bach was born. Yeah. Tell us about that.
1: Because I know the story.
0: My yeah. audience
1: does not. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, 121 days. Um, on the first day of it all, the question was, "What does you know? What does Charles Wilson sound like? Mm. You know, I've toured with Rihanna and Justin Timberlake and John Mayer, and I have played all this music for all these other people, but I've never discovered what I sound like. What does mm-hmm. my voice sound like? Mm-hmm. So, creative's workshop was the vehicle that helped me to find that voice on the first day like I said I didn't know what was going to come out I just Mm -hmm. put your hands on the keyboard and press record and see what happens and from that point I discovered that very much my origins in classical music I studied classical music from about age four to 16 and it was the straw it was the, the like the grounding material so everything kind of was classical music and then I said well I've done a lot of pop music. So I know pop structure. I know verse, chorus, you know, verse, pre-chorus, you know, I know Mm -hmm. the structures. Mm -hmm. So then that came into play. And then I studied jazz. So some of that came into play. So Mm. it just came into this whole uh, neoclassical mix, you know, gumbo of styles into one thing. Um, And throughout that 100 days of the creatives workshop, this is kind of where I was putting these pieces together and then being able to have real-time feedback from people like yourself and, and other people in the cohort saying, yeah, I really love what you did at, you know, 37 seconds to 42, that really resonated with me. And I'm saying, okay. So I take that piece and I kind of examine it. And then I would take that piece and kind of exp- you know expound on it and, and create something from that. And it's just, it, you know, Black Buck was born from that. Like just this really true experimentation in music and sound and structure. It was all an experiment. I had no idea. I mean, Nadine, I had no idea what I was doing. I was literally completely out of my wheelhouse, but that was the moment to be outside of the wheelhouse because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't travel. I couldn't perform. So this is the time to really experiment. I am so happy you did. I
0: mean, the pandemic has been a curse in a lot of ways, but it has been a blessing in some, like what you're expressing. Some of my favorite clips of yours on Instagram are when you are interpreting a popular song Mm -hmm. and adding your spin to it. I live
1: for those moments. They're fun. How did you come up with doing that? Trial and error. Throwing everything. When I first had the talk with my team about what, what are we going to do on socials, they said, just try everything. And when something sticks, it'll stick. So we just threw everything at the wall. And I remember the first cover I did was, there's this artist named Guapdad 4000, who I was a fan of because he's a rapper, but he also uh, collaborates with J. Cole. And I, I was just a fan. And it just so happens that one of my managers knew his manager and he had a new single coming out. So she said, yeah, why don't you cover Guap Dan's new single? And I said, okay, cool. I love it. And I did it. He posted it. I posted it. And then the audience just kind of like gravitated to it. And I said, this is the lane. This is the lane. Taking Mm. modern pop songs and just putting my spin on it and kind of just really expressing myself and writing things that kind of a little, that, you know, most people would think classical music and hip hop don't go together. But their first cousins.
0: One of the things I love about those covers <coughs> is that, you know, they say nothing is ever really exactly new, but mm. it, it's what you bring to the table. And so the fact that you've been able to marry to what do seem like very disparate genres of music so beautifully, it's just amazing. And I, I revel at the fact that you were able to find a new way you didn't just kind of sit back and go, you know, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now since I can't, you know, do these concerts and I can't go perform and I can't go travel, but you right. were able to find these ways to let your music continue to connect people. You know, because those yeah. moments, I mean at least for me, even if I'm feeling a little bit grumpy or something and I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but mm-hmm. as soon as I scroll past and it's just a few seconds, Mm -hmm. you know under a minute it's Mm -hmm. just enough for me to feel uplifted and to feel like uh, this admiration for the level of creativity that another person could bring to bring another person joy right yeah that's how Uh, I feel uh, that's how I feel you know I'm a fangirl
1: yeah (laughs) So,
0: (laughs) so I also wanted to ask you what's next Are there other things kind of that you're exploring?
1: Yes, there are. The social activism piece, too, I'd love for you to speak on. Yes. So today is actually it's so amazing that we're doing this. Today will be the first post um, from the What's Going On Social series, which is a 12-part series which will eventually become an album. A lot of people don't know this, that eventually after posting 12 pieces of this social series, mm-hmm. it will become an album. But it's a it's my opportunity to address and bring awareness to certain social issues that we all face. For instance, today's issue is, is prison reform mm-hmm. and the prison industrial complex and being able to have uh, a piece that I've written um, that speaks to me in a way that I can then relay that message to others. Um, I remember when I started this particular piece, um, the working title for it was A Second Chance for Julius Jones. And it had a lot to do with the Julius Jones case and the fact that, you know, I put myself in his shoes. If I was a man who has claimed my innocence from the beginning, and was two hours from my execution, and was granted a, a, a partial pardon from the governor. Like, that's so close. Mm. That feeling of being that close to mm-hmm. the end, and just being able to have something yank you back and give you a second chance at it. It just really resonated with me, and I remember I was with my father at the time in Florida, and we were talking about it, and. I had my keyboard set up and I said, damn, wait a minute. And I ran in and I hopped on my keyboard and I played this riff that was really just kind of a, you know, it's hard and it's grounding and it's kind of monotonous, but it's very an express it's very much an expression of, okay, I made it. Now it's time to fight again. You know, and this series gives me an opportunity to just kind of really, really dive into those feelings that I have. I mean, I do have feelings and expressions about the things that are happening around us. Mm-hmm. You know, there I'm going to give you a little bit of a, you know, a sneak peek into something. There's also another piece that I wrote called Forgotten Girls. And Forgotten Girls, is about the Gabby Petito um, case. And the fact that there are so many black and brown young girls and women who never get the media attention that you know not to say that it's not a tragedy Gabby Petito is my sister and it's a tragedy that we lost her in that way but there are so many others that still don't have the same voice Mm -hmm. and this is my opportunity to give them a voice one of the things that was very difficult about this piece is that I have two sisters so in writing it I had to imagine the two people closest to me were victims. Mm. And it was very difficult to write. Matter of fact, uh, uh, I wrote the piece and I hated it. As soon as I finished it, I turned it into my label and I hated it. I was like, I never want to listen to that thing ever again. And after I was able to deal with the emotion of, of, you know, imagining something terrible happening to these two people that I love very much, I was able to finally get into a place where I was able to listen to it again. And I said, I love it. And this is a true expression and a true voice for these girls who I love so dearly, but they're gone. And I want to, this is a gift for them and for their families and for the people that are grieving over their loss. So this social series is very much an opportunity, like I said, for me to connect in a certain way. Thank you so much for the amazing work that you do.
0: It's been such a pleasure connecting again, Charles. We'd have to do this guess
1: soon absolutely we have to
0: do you have a question for me yes
1: i do so one of our colleagues scott perry i just had a uh, uh session with him yesterday and he posed this question to me and now i want to pose this question to you mm. is how do you find it now that you're leading our creators our wonderful creators workshop how do you find it being a leader in this new in this new position, this new capacity?
0: That's a good question. Well, what's interesting about it is I raised my hand and that's something that's still relatively new for me. In the first 40 years of my life, it was about checking boxes and making sure I was in the right place at the right time, working hard for external validation, proving my worth because I made it to X, Y, or Z. And in the next decade, I'm now 50. So in the next decade, it became about kind of this turning in that you talked about, learning more and not being afraid to look in the mirror, really look in the mirror and figure out who I am, why I'm here. What are my real values? What are my beliefs? What will I not compromise? And through that learning in the last decade, it has become apparent to me that something that I've learned from Seth Godin is the real value and the power of agency and choosing yourself. Yes. And so, because I've been growing in this capacity with coaching and teaching in health coaching, teaching uh, classes for women, uh, coaching in the akimbo world, among a group of people who truly want to see the best in everyone, who want to uplift everyone, I felt like it was time to uplift myself a little bit more, challenge myself a little bit more. What does it really mean to lead, not from the top down, but still beside everyone? And what does it mean to lead and support a group of coaches in the role of head coach? Right. And so I said, I'm going to take the leap because I'm scared so that means something
1: perfect yes
0: that's what it feels like right now
1: oh that's awesome Uh, you know and i'm a believer in that too if it's scary do it that's your body that's your mind that's your spirit telling you this is what you should be doing so i'm so happy that you you raised your hand and stepped up to the plate with this i know i've worked with you as well i'm sure you're it's an amazing coach and i was i was Gonna do. I, I just my schedule didn't permit me to do uh, to coaching creatives this round, but I w- it would have been lovely to work with you again, especially as head coach. This this it would have been extraordinary. Someday, someday, someday we will do it.
0: <laughs> Charles, what is your personal definition of what it means to be
1: healthy? Oh, my personal definition, and you know, I'm. This is such a good question because my the words I preach daily is healthy, health. Health does not just mean your physical health. It means your spiritual health, your mental health. You know how you're how you're moving and maneuvering throughout the world. Um, for me, health first starts with my spirit, and then branches from there. A lot of a lot of what we talk about in the news and media is mental health, and I feel like it's my personal belief that that's, that's stage two. Stage one is spiritual health. Mm. Like I can't get to my mind if my spirit isn't aligned. So first thing is to align my spirit. And then I can control my thoughts and emotions and uh, use the tools and and discover new tools to actually maneuver or navigate everything that's happening around me. To me, there's a balance. Balance is another word that I use a lot. Balancing things. How are you doing with your work? Are you balancing work with your personal life? Are you balancing that with your creativity? Are you balancing that with your uh, spiritualism or your religion, religious beliefs? How is your life and the activities in your life balancing? And I think to have a very good balance and to understand when your balance is off and how to use these tools to get your balance back is key to your health. I can even say for myself in physical health, like there are times when I'm like, I need to do something. I don't feel as healthy as I should, so I do things, you know, to to balance out my physical health, to balance out my mental health, to balance out my spiritual health. So for me, those two words go together: health and balance. And I, if the, if you if I were to define health and being healthy, it means being balanced.
0: Well, your inside out approach—that deep inside starting from the spiritual place definitely yeah. translates in your music and how you treat people so thank you <laughs> thank, thank you, you thank you <laughs> it has been such a lovely conversation
1: yeah uh, likewise this has been amazing
0: If you're feeling unbalanced and you want more, you want a more integrated, balanced, healthier outlook, showing up with your whole self to your whole life, let's connect. Find me at npkhealthintegration.com.